What's up, everyone, and welcome into episode number 47, where I will finally get the opportunity to review last week's football games for Michigan State and Michigan. I won't really talk a whole lot about the Michigan game because there's not a whole lot to say. Michigan, again, just absolutely dominated. J.J. McCarthy looked really good. The offense looked really good. They just couldn't be stopped, and on that defensive side of the ball, it was just a dominate performance. The other team couldn't score at all. It's been the same three games for Michigan. It's just been an absolutely dominant performance, not even been close. The one thing I do want to talk about that I think Michigan did extremely well in this game is in the prior game before this one, Cade McNamara was booed off the field after struggling against Hawaii. And I came on here and expressed how I didn't think that was right, how I didn't think that was fair to Cade, and I didn't think that the fans should have done that. Now, this game against UConn, he got a huge ovation when he entered the game, which is absolutely a thing that he deserved. And I think that's kind of a makeup thing because Kate McNamara, unless JJ McCarthy gets hurt or really struggles, Kate McNamara started his last game as a Michigan Wolverine. That's just an absolute fact and he shouldn't be booed. I know he struggled this year, but like I've said in the past, he won you your first Big Ten football championship in over 15 plus years. He absolutely deserves that credit. He does not deserve to ever be booed, in my opinion, especially because now that he's going to be the backup quarterback, unless J.J. McCarthy gets hurt, which could be a possibility, but even if he does, you know you have a very good backup behind him as well. I think Michigan has a little harder of a test this weekend against Maryland. I will talk more about that in the next podcast. That will probably be released on Friday. But yeah, I want to kind of quickly review Michigan because there's not a whole lot of more review that I can talk about, especially for everything I've said. I can say the exact same thing over and over and over again, but I think you want to hear my opinion more on Michigan State, especially after a loss to Washington that the score was 39-28. Headed into this game, I think a lot of people were worried about the pass defense. They were worried how much did it improve. Could it get any worse? We were told by Mel Tucker, by a lot of people, that the pass defense could not get any worse. And I even came on this podcast and said the same thing. I'm like, you really can't get much worse than last year. And after watching that game, I don't know if that statement is true. I don't think it's gotten better. Has it gotten worse? I don't know. But that game, whatever happened, if it was a game plan, if it was a scheme that caused it, if it was guys just out of it, out of positions, just doing the wrong thing, I think it's everything. I think it's scheme and players doing the wrong thing. 
how do you fix that though? And you have to fix that fast because yes, Washington has a very good passing attack in Michael Penix, which he went for three ninety seven for four touchdowns. You still have Ohio State coming up. You still have Michigan coming up. You have Maryland coming up. These are teams that have as good or better passing attacks than Washington. Now, I know we can go back at the end of the season, look at Washington and how they do. They might be one of the top 10, top 15, top 20 teams in the country, depending on how they pan out. And I think... Kalen DeBoer is doing a great job over in Washington, but I think the main worry about Michigan State and their fans is the past events. It looked really, really bad. They were allowing to get beat down the sidelines. Now, there were a couple of times where Michael Penix had a very good throw that the defense was there, but there were certain situations, like there was two fourth and fives that they were just wide open. One of them, I remember, it was a fourth and five, and there was literally a tight end sitting in the middle of the field, and there was no one within about 10 yards of him. Now, I don't know if that's a communication issue. Washington did do a very good job of motioning and changing their formations throughout the game, and it's tough. You have to have good communication, but... Even if it's bad communication, you would really hope that there's someone within at least 10 yards, especially on a fourth and five. Because if you stab Washington, you're going to get that ball back. And at the time, while MSU was down, it wasn't impossible to come back. So what's going to have to happen? Mel Tucker said there's going to be changes on the back end, at least personnel-wise in his press conference on Monday, I don't really know what that means, but things are going to have to get figured out fast, and Scotty Hazelton's going to have to figure out those answers because, yes, it is focused on the head coach, but also you're the defensive coordinator. you got to do a better job as the defensive coordinator. Now, I also want to talk a little bit about Mel Tucker because he's taken a lot of flack recently, especially because of his contract, because of the result of this game. A lot of people have been talking about how he absolutely robbed Michigan State, how Michigan State's defense looked really bad, which I agree. How the secondary looked really bad, it was very bad. And how he's been coaching. Yeah, that's not a good look. It is absolutely a bad look for Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker has not gotten these DBs and safeties working properly. Now, we do know with Xavier Henderson hurt, that's a big loss, but at the same time, next man up, Mel Tucker has to get this thing figured out. He has to. This is what he's known for. He's known to be a defensive guy. Nick Saban hired him multiple times to be a defensive guy. Kirby Smart did the same thing. It's not like he's not been hired by anyone. He's been hired by some of the best coaches in college football to be a defensive guy. And while, yes, maybe personnel and the type of players aren't there yet and the skill isn't there yet, 
you have to show improvement. And it starts this week. It has to. It, things have to change. And if things don't change, it's not going to be good because Minnesota is going to throw the ball all over on you. And I'll talk a little bit more about that Minnesota matchup once that episode comes out when I talk about Minnesota and MSU and Michigan-Maryland. But the other side of the ball I really want to focus on is the offense. And there's a few guys I want to give absolutely huge praise to. And they're probably three of the people that deserve this praise of anyone. Very few people I could watch on Saturday and say, hey, you know what? They were giving everything to win that game. And I think all three of those came on the offensive end. Number one, in my opinion, is Peyton Thorne. Payton Thorne had questions going into that game. He had been struggling throughout the season. He has not looked good. It was a big road game for Michigan State. He had to answer, and he absolutely answered the belt. Payton Thorne played extremely well. Yes, he made a couple of bad mistakes and had a bad interception. But at that time, Payton Thorne was literally the only offense Michigan State had. Michigan State could absolutely get no push on the offensive line. They could not run the ball. They were running the ball up the middle over and over and picking up one to two yards. And I don't want to do this, but the offensive line coach at Michigan State, you're getting paid, I think, $1.1 million. Yeah, it takes longer to get an offensive line to build around, to become the offensive line you want it to be. But Washington, unless things change, their defensive front isn't supposed to be amazing. They're good. They're solid. But you're going to face a lot better defensive fronts later in the year. Like Michigan's defensive front, again, looks spectacular. Ohio State's defensive front looks really good. Minnesota looks really good. Wisconsin looks really good. You have these teams that are very good on the defensive end, and if your offensive line can't get a push, that's going to put everything on Payne Thorne again, and we saw that Payne Thorne could do it. He balled. I thought he played extremely well. You could see how much he wanted that win. He was willing his team down the field with the help of Keon Coleman. You could see Peyton Thorne dropping his shoulder to get an extra yard. And if you're a fan of a team, you do not want your starting quarterback doing that. You're worried that he will get hurt. But he wanted the win so bad that he was willing to put his body on the line. And that's exactly what quarterbacks do sometimes. J.J. McCarthy, he's done it sometimes. Yes, this isn't something you want your quarterback to do very often because you want them to stay healthy. But when it's time, they will do that decision. And Payne Thorne was doing that on Saturday. 
another player that deserves praise, a ton of it, is Keon Coleman. MSU fans and its media has talked about how special Keon Coleman can be. They've talked about his skill, how he can be someone that can be an early round draft pick if everything works out. And I think on Saturday he showed flashes of that. Saturday he was absolutely brilliant. He was the only guy that could win his matchup over and over until Daniel Barker started doing that towards the end of the game. And he's the third guy I think absolutely deserves praise as well. Those two guys, they were the only two that could find openings. And yes, MSU didn't have Jaden Reed, but if MSU wants to be successful on the offensive side going forward, there's going to be a few things that's going to have to happen. Jaden Reed, Keon Coleman, and Daniel Barker are going to continue to have to win their matchups. Payne Thorne is going to have to continue to make the throws he needs to, which he started doing that on Saturday, and the offensive line will have to get pushed. Not saying you have to have 8, 10 yards per carry every game. But you need to be able to pick up 4 or 5 yards. If you can consistently pick up 3, 4, or 5 yards, that opens up so many more opportunities for the offense. This was a game that MSU looked very bad in. I think the score ended up about what the game was. I didn't think MSU deserved to be absolutely blown out in. But this was a game that it never really seemed like Michigan State was going to win. Especially starting early on. You made some huge mistakes. Washington started the game 7 nothing and was driving. You stopped them on the one-yard line. And the next play... Your running back stumbles and falls into the end zone for a safety. You're down 9 nothing. Then your kickoff, which is your punter, kicks it out of bounds and Washington gets the ball at the 50-yard line. You're already behind the eight ball against a solid to, real, to good team on, the, on their home turf. Not a good start in. I definitely think it starts with the coaches. I think it goes down to the players. And I'm not saying this weekend is a must-win game, but it's pretty close. So things have to improve for Michigan State. If they can beat Minnesota, that helps a little bit. I'll talk a little bit about that more in the next episode. But I kind of want to end this podcast on a positive note and this will be a little shorter episode just because I didn't really go into a whole lot detail for the Michigan game and the reason why because like I said earlier there's not a whole lot to talk about Michigan absolutely dominated on the positive end the Detroit Tigers and Chris Illich made a great move in hiring their next GM. I never thought I would be saying that, but they absolutely nailed it, in my opinion, on paper with hiring Scott Harris. So if you don't know Scott Harris, a little bit about him is he was 
the GM of the San Francisco Giants. He's a very young GM. He's coming over to be the president of, of operations at the Tigers. And I want to read one quote, especially from Theo Epstein. And if you don't know Theo Epstein, he is considered one of the best minds in the MLB. He has led the Red Sox to World Series, which snapped their streak. He led the Chicago Cubs to World Series, which snapped their streak. And now he works at the MLB. And I want to read this quote because I think this is a very good quote, especially from a guy that a lot of people think is a very talented, very smart individual. So he definitely knows what he's talking about. So Theo Epstein had this to say on Scott Harris. He really values information. He's just as comfortable in the analytics suite as he is in the clubhouse. He's always had really strong relationships with players, managers, and coaches. When he's on the road, he's visiting the scouts. He understands how it all comes together that the game is played by human beings. He also has the discipline and logical thinking from coming in the analytics era and being immersed in the ways of thinking. This is a very solid and good quote about Scott Harris. And this is what the Tigers need. After six plus years of Alavila, I got to tip my cap to Chris Illich. I think he did a fantastic job. Now, on paper, this is a very good hire. Now, that doesn't mean it'll necessarily turn out because we've seen multiple times on paper that hirings look really good, that they don't turn out to be as good as they seem. And that doesn't work. But I hope that this is not this situation. And another really interesting fact is that Steve Eiserman helped with bringing Scott Harris to Detroit. If you want to talk about one of the most impactful sport individuals in the state of Michigan, especially in Detroit and maybe in professional sports, as a GM, it's Steve Eisenman. He literally has his footprints on organizations wherever he goes. Not just the organization he's the GM of but he makes impacts on other organizations in that city as well. And we're seeing that. Would Scott Harris have come to Detroit if it wasn't for Steve Eisenman? I don't know. I think it probably helped because Steve Eisenman is known as one of the best minds in the NHL. What the city of Detroit and its special teams are doing and the professional teams are doing I have hope. I think a lot of people have hope now. Because you look at the GMs that they have. And every single one of the GMs that they have now has been praised by some of the best people in professional sports. Steve Eiserman, one of the best, if not the best GM in the NHL. Got Troy Weaver. He's doing great things over at the Pistons. You got Brad Holmes. 
doing great things over at the Lions. Now you have Scott Harris. These are all younger GMs that have, yes, a lot to prove, but have a lot of knowledge that are seeming to make the right decisions and that it has things working. And if you told people in the state that in 10 years that these would be the four GMs, I think people would be elated. Now, yes, they're great GMs as of right now. They've made smart moves. Things still have to pan out. But at least for the first time in a while, especially in like that 10-year time window, it seems like all four Detroit professional teams are headed in the right direction, which is really exciting because there's never really been a time where all four professional teams have been very good. I love what's happening in the state of Michigan for professional sports. I think in a few years, and maybe I'm still running this podcast in a few years. Hopefully I am. I think in a few years we could be competing for something special. And that's what the city needs. This city needs winners, not just one winner. Because for a long time, we had a winner in the Red Wings. We had a winner in the Tigers. And for a little bit, the Pistons. The Lions have never been that. If the Lions can be the team that can be the first one, or one of the first ones, watch how I think hope is brought back in the city of Detroit. So yeah, before I end this podcast, I did want to talk about one thing, and that's actually the Detroit Lions. They had a game this past weekend against the Washington Commanders. And man, did I really like what I watched. They absolutely dominated that first half. The Washington Commanders had 27 yards of offense. 27. In the whole first half, the defense looked unreal. Aiden Hutchinson's the man. Like, he had three sacks in that game. He looks like the number one overall pick in just that one game. Now, I know some people might be like, whoa, hold on a little bit. It's just one game. But he looked really good. Charles Harris as well. Charles Harris is part of the reason why the Lions got the safety that they did. The offense looked really, really good. I'm on Ross St. Brown. He could be very, very special. He's a baller. Same thing with Swift. Swift had a snap count. He ran the ball five times for about 46 yards. But one of the most impressive plays is he had about a 20 to 25-yard touchdown reception it was a screen where he caught the ball fell got up crossed the field and probably be about five washington defenders to the end zone it was an incredible play now the one thing i am a little concerned about is it seems like jared goff and tj hawkinson they're not on the right page right now and that's definitely something that's going to have to be watched, but I think the more that they play together this year, I think the better they'll be. But this offense, it is really good already. 
imagine when you add Jamison Williams, it even gets that much better. And I'm just excited. This offense is going to be electric once that happens. Last thing I want to talk about with this Lions team is that offensive line. Heading into that game, I think a lot of people that knew about the Lions offensive line situation were a little concerned because their three interior offensive linemen were hurt, were out. You had Penny Sewell and Taylor Decker were the only starting offensive linemen that were left. You had Evan Brown, which he's a very good backup. I'm surprised he's still a backup. He could probably start at other teams. You have Dan Skipper making his first start, and that's an incredible start. Dan Skipper, he's 6'9", I think 330, which is the largest offensive lineman to ever start in the NFL. He's been in the NFL for, I think, six years. Six or nine years, somewhere around that. He's had 20 different contracts from teams. He's never made an NFL 53-man roster. He's always been on the practice squad. He finally gets his opportunity to start, and he falls out. He plays so well. And that one touchdown catch that DeAndre Swift had, you can watch the video, and you can watch Dan Skipper celebrate and how much that meant to him. He even got to do the post-game press conference. And Dan Campbell had an awesome speech in the back room after they won, and you could see how much his performance and Dan Campbell saying how good his performance meant to him. That's the difference between this Lions team versus other Lions teams I've seen. This Lions team buys in on the culture. And it is absolutely the next man up mentality. This offensive line did not take a step back, especially from a really solid defensive line for the commanders. Hank Staley absolutely deserves all the credit in the world. Everyone deserves all the credit in the world. That was an awesome game. An awesome win, and the Lions have an opportunity to go against the Vikings, get 2-1, and one, and if that happens, who knows? They could possibly compete for a wildcard spot. Now, I'm not saying that will happen. I still have to see it with my own eyes, but this team can be very fun, and I think they will be continued to be fun to watch throughout the season. So, yeah, that's kind of the episode. That's Really all I really want to talk about, I talked about Michigan for a little bit, I talked about Michigan State, and I talked about the Tigers for the first time in a while because Tigers haven't been very good. I didn't know if people wanted me to talk about how the Tigers have continued to struggle, how they weren't winning games, so I really didn't talk about them very much until we got really great news about the GM hiring and then the Lions. So yeah, the next podcast will be a review about Michigan State and Michigan against the two teams they're playing. I'll probably bring up Ferris State, GVSU, and a couple other teams as well, depending on who they play. But yeah, next podcast will be a review of 
the football game is coming up. I'll also probably talk about the Tigers. But yeah, hopefully you like this episode. Thank you again for tuning in to the last episode. It was a really great conversation. I hope to do more of those in the future. Thank you again for supporting this podcast. You you guys, you listeners are the reason why I keep going. You make the podcast what it is. So if you have the opportunity, go give it a follow. Continue to listen. It would be really appreciated. And yeah, thank you again for tuning in. And let's have a great weekend of football.